the building construction and operation sector, which is where we generally sell products into, is collectively responsible for close to 40% of global carbon emissions. If we're going to solve global warming, we need to have solutions to make sure that the buildings that we're building, the buildings that we're renovating, can be carbon neutral and carbon negative. We have to address the built environment as a sector in solving global warming. And so these products provide a very practical way that we can continue to build, continue to outfit offices and do it in a way that's sensitive to global warming. Welcome to the Sustainable Jungle Podcast. I'm Joy and in this episode, I'm catching up for the second time with Erin Mizan. Erin is the VP and Chief Sustainability Officer at Interface Inc., a publicly listed company and a world leader in modular flooring, otherwise known as carpet tiles. Now you may be wondering what carpet tiles have to do with sustainability, but as it turns out, Interface are a leader in corporate sustainability, not just in setting goals, but in implementing and achieving them, as you'll hear all about today. We first caught up with Erin back in episode 21, so I highly recommend going back and listening to that episode to learn more about Interface and also about Erin personally including how she got started in this fascinating career. Now, before we get to the show, I have some housekeeping to cover. This will be the last episode that we publish for a little while as we're taking a small break to welcome a tiny eco-warrior into the world. I'm not sure how long we'll be gone for, but just wanted to thank you all for your listenership over the last three years. And we look forward to getting back to it with more inspiring changemakers and innovators at some point. Now back to this episode, you can find the show notes, including all the relevant links over at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Let's get stuck into talking about corporate influence and big ambitions with Erin Mizan. Hello, Erin. Welcome back to the show. Incredible how time has flown since we last spoke to you in 2018. And gosh, so much has changed since then, including a pretty dramatic shift in the conversation about sustainability. So perhaps to kick us off, you could share a little bit about your perspective on how the sustainability agenda has shifted and is continuing to shift. Sure. Well, it's great to be back and great to talk to you again. And yeah, it seems like 2018 was a lifetime ago. Um, You know, for everyone, I think COVID and, you know, in many instances of the world, um, elections have given us all a lot of time to reflect. And for us, 2020 was a year at Interface where we were definitely challenged by some of the instances of COVID. Um, Offices closed, a lot of people work from home. And so we really use that time to think about what can we do at Interface? What can we advance? And, you know, we actually achieved a pretty big milestone in 2020. We launched the first ever carbon negative carpet tile. And, you know, I think that really feeds into a lot of what we're seeing coming out of COVID. I do think the sustainability conversation the desire for um, companies to be more purpose-led, the desire for them to accelerate action on sustainability, and in particular climate, um, you know, is really a conversation that's happening right now. So last time we spoke in 2018, uh, I definitely think there wasn't as much focus on purpose-led businesses. Um, Sustainability hadn't really been challenged like COVID challenged it. And many companies came out the other end saying this is more important than ever. And certainly, I think the conversation and focus around companies responding to climate has accelerated. So those are like a couple of things that, you know, I think I'm seeing, um, not just kind of in the broader business community, but in the sphere of business that we really work in, which is the built environment space. So lots of exciting things happening for those of us who, you know, are focused on sustainable business. We're going to jump into um, into how things are going over at Interface. But before we do that, I just was wondering how Interface is doing generally given COVID. I mean, here in Australia, the building industry has gone berserk sort of as a, as a, <laughs> as a fallout from the COVID situation. Um, so hopefully Interface is seeing some of that love and uh, not only here in Australia, but also globally. 
Certainly. I think there's been pent up demand. And so one, you know, one challenging thing is that each part of the world is slightly different in terms of demand and reopening schedules. And obviously so much of that is tied to whatever national strategy and progress is happening on vaccines and kind of COVID recovery in those markets. So it's a little bit different everywhere, which is challenging, but certainly we're seeing in places like the US, maybe the strongest signs of reopening and um, construction beginning again, but also kind of the inevitable redesign that has to happen in some office spaces um, to kind of keep people in the interim. So we're definitely starting to see things pick up in parts of Europe more strongly in the US, maybe less so in Asia. So it's good. It's a good feeling um, to have customers come back, um, to have our you know own employees come back, and we're pretty optimistic about the next couple of months. Seeing a lot of that pent up demand, as you were talking about, really start to materialize in terms of um, orders for the business. So that's exciting. Now, you've already touched on some of the progress over the last three years, but uh, last time we spoke, we talked about several of the big initiatives that Interface was working on and that you yourself were leading, including achieving Mission Zero, Climate Take Back, and the Carbon Negative Tile Innovation. So perhaps we could go through these again and chat about sort of the, the detail on the progress um, on these initiatives since 2018. Perhaps starting with Mission Zero, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about it and what happened with that big 2020 ambition. Yeah. So, you know, Mission Zero is so near and dear to my heart. It's something that Interface started over 26 years ago. And it was really, you know, spurred by the realization of our founder that our business needed to become more sustainable. So he set this wildly ambitious goal to, you know, for the company to have zero environmental impact by the year 2020 and, you know, got the company really focused on reducing its operational footprint through things like energy efficiency and renewable energy, but also got us really focused on kind of the extended supply chain, which is all the raw materials that go into the products that we make. And so Interface spent, you know, the better part of two decades getting really focused on reducing those emissions, but at the same time coming to the realization that as much work as we had done to reduce the impact of the operations and the products, you know, we had started to see a broader vision of sustainability being it's not just about getting to zero, it's actually shifting the company to go from zero environmental impact to actually creating positive impact in the world. So as we reached kind of 2019, we celebrated a really important milestone, which was 25 years into the journey. So we took that milestone to say on the 25th year of this journey, we're going to declare success on how far we've come on getting to zero. And, you know, we had great statistics like 92% reduced waste to landfill, 95% absolute reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, and the milestone of being able to say that every product we make or sell was carbon neutral because we had done so much work to reduce the carbon footprint over 74% that you know we we got to the point where we said we see a natural end to this mission we're in the high 90s in terms of reducing our footprint but importantly we've recognized that there's somewhere further to go and you know we want to go to that next place so the company continues to be focused on you know, maintaining that really low level of environmental impact. But we also now are focused on something that we think goes even further than that, which is, you know, the company trying to achieve a positive impact. So that's been a big milestone that we hit since we last saw you. Um, and, you know, that next mission that we declared for us was really focused on global warming. And the next important step we took after declaring success on Mission Zero was to kind of chart out where we were going next. And for Interface, that first step was reversing global warming. And we became very open about saying the next mission of our company 
is not just going to be about interfaces footprint or interfaces products or, you know, our industry. We're going to name the goal that we need to have, not just as a business, but as the planet. You know, we're going to say the company needs to reverse global warming. And that seems kind of huge and vague and challenging, but we did that for a reason. And then we started to set some really specific goals. We're going to be a carbon negative enterprise by 2040. And Interface was one of the first um, companies in the built environment space to declare that we are committed to set a science-based target. So I think some really exciting things have been happening since we last checked in. Um, Declaring success on mission zero, (laughs) creating this powerful next mission, and then starting to set some goals and targets around what it would mean for a company to really live into this ambition of reversing global warming. It's so interesting just to reflect on that for a second because we're now starting to see huge companies around the world start to make these big goals and ambitions, but only now, you know, (laughs) Interface did this 25 years ago, but now we're starting to see sort of, you know, big goals for 2050, 2040, getting to carbon neutral by then, uh, by big industry players and big industry polluters. So I think it's quite amazing that it's just, it's just interesting to reflect on, on Interface's journey and the fact that you're setting the next target being even more aggressive around actually reducing carbon and reversing climate change as opposed to Uh, just setting a net zero ambition. Those targets are super important validation for us, though. And I agree with you, just over the last 12 months, I mean, the companies that have set targets and significant carbon targets, Apple, Amazon, the work Amazon is doing on the Climate Pledge, I mean, huge businesses. And I think you know, what's great is many of them weren't where we were 25 years ago, but we've got a decade now, right? I mean, all the estimates say that for climate in particular, from 2020 to 2030 really needs to be a decade of action. So I'm very excited that we aren't where we were 25 years ago, where there was only a handful of companies doing this. Or, or where we are now, where some of these large, large companies have come to the realization that they have to set bold goals now and they have to start acting. And, and even more important to have leaders who are focusing on the next goal of decarbonization. So maybe we chat about climate take back, which is the, which is the next level ambition that you've been talking about. So that's, that's about going a whole lot further. So maybe you can tell us about this and also uh, maybe touch on how this this raised ambition is such an anomaly still. Yeah, I mean, I was really excited to lead the development of Climate Take Back for the company. And we kind of did three really powerful things. We got our senior leadership team and our CEO to commit to a mission for the company that was the same as the problem. And I think that's super important, right? I mean, the ambition you have to have around issues like climate change, global inequality, can't just be around fixing your company. We have to think systemically and we have to name kind of the boldest challenges. So the first hurdle we got the company over was saying, let's align our mission and our language, not with just solving something within our company, but let's look and talk systemically because I think that's really important. The second thing we got the company to do was then to kind of build a framework for doing this because the first logical question our CEO was saying to me was, if I'm willing to sign up for this level of ambition, reversing global warming, how are we going to get there? What is the framework? And so we looked immediately to the work of Johan Rockström at the Stockholm Resilience Center and took a science-based approach. And, you know, when you read through the reports and the IPCC and the graph, it becomes quite clear that there's a scientific pathway to solving this problem that we had to mirror because of our company strategy. So it's, you know, three big things. It's deep and rapid decarbonization. That's why you see all those companies setting net zero pledges by 2030, by 2040. We all need to kind of decarbonize. And I was super excited just to see the ambition that's happening in the U.S. from President Biden. 
announcing, you know, a few weeks ago that the U.S. will commit to have uh, the country's emissions by 2030. So the first is this deep decarbonization. The second, though, acknowledges that we've put too much carbon in the atmosphere and we need to take some of that carbon out. So a strategy and approach to carbon removal, you know, to removing that excess carbon in the atmosphere. And the third kind of part that science tells us we have to do is protect and enhance our existing carbon sinks and buffers on the planet, forest land, the Amazon, the oceans, and really look after their health. So after understanding that scientific approach, the company went and kind of built a company framework for actually doing this. And we said our company will be acting in line with this if we're decarbonizing as quickly as possible, if we're removing excess carbon from the atmosphere through our efforts, and we're doing that in a way that protects and enhances natural sinks. So that still feels like not exactly the action plan that you and I would show up at the office and implement. <laughs> so knowing that we had this science-based approach, we then went a third level down and said, what do we have the potential to do at Interface? We can certainly keep reducing our carbon emissions. So we have initiatives underway to continue to focus on efficiency, continue to increase our use of renewable energy. We have some opportunities in our Asia-Pacific manufacturing in Australia and also in Germany to use more renewable energy at those plants. But we also have the opportunity to utilize carbon as a building block by using more biomaterials to make our products. So we have a huge opportunity as a product maker to make not just carbon neutral products, but products that could actually store more carbon. And we've invested a lot of innovation there. That's a great segue because I was going to ask you next about the carbon negative product. So this is this is part of the the love carbon idea, as in let's use it as a as an amazing resource as opposed to seeing it as this evil thing. So maybe tell us about the carbon negative products. Last time we spoke, they were still in development and now they've actually been launched. I know it's very exciting. So um we introduced the first ever carbon negative carpet tile in October of 2020, and we've expanded that to Europe and Asia Pacific, launching those products in those markets in March of this year. So, you know, building on kind of what I said over the last 25 years, we've done a lot of work to reduce the carbon footprint of the products. And we share all of those numbers and calculations in something called an environmental product declaration. But, you know, we we saw the opportunity to go even further. And, you know, by changing our mindset to say it's not just about reducing carbon, which is what we've been doing over 25 years with the products, but this idea of carbon removal, we saw that we could translate that directly into products by looking at new raw materials. And in particular, looking at biomaterials that themselves store carbon. So the carbon negative products are kind of a really neat marriage of already low carbon footprint work, low footprint manufacturing, and then we added more recycled content to the products, and then we added new biomaterials. And based on all of those new factors, we calculated and then had third party verified that the carbon footprint of those products is actually below zero. It actually stores more carbon. And, and so I think th this innovation is simultaneously kind of a couple of interesting things. Um, people always ask us like, well, that's great. Like, why should we care about a carbon negative carpet tile? <laughs> <laughs> right? And I think the first is this idea of innovation and the idea of changing your perspective from reducing to removing, I think it offers an interesting perspective change for anyone who makes a product. So if we can do it, you can do it. And I think it provides a really interesting provocation for other companies, right? But the second is a very real and practical benefit. I mean, you know, the, the building construction and operation sector, which is where we generally sell products into, is collectively responsible for close to 40% of global carbon emissions. If we're gonna solve global warming, we need to have solutions 
to make sure that the buildings that we're building, the buildings that we're renovating can be carbon neutral and carbon negative. We have to address the built environment as a sector in solving global warming. And so these products provide a very practical way that we can continue to build, continue to outfit offices and do it in a way that's sensitive to global warming. Absolutely. I mean, at the residential level, we're building a house at the moment and it's just so, it can be so um, disappointing to see the limited options that there are for for sort of products that are a little bit better for the planet. It's, um, you know, you really want to do the right thing, but sometimes it's just impossible. So fast forward, you know, into the future, if everything was carbon negative and there's a much broader a group um, of of companies in the building ecosystem that had actually applied some of these ideas, it would be very exciting. I agree. I mean, it's not easy to find these products, but I think two exciting things on that, Joy. The first is that we've started to introduce um, these types of products to our residential line. Oh, really? So, yeah. So soon, our, our residential brand is marketed under the brand Floor, F-L-O-R, and their website is F-L-O-R.com. So people in the residential space can, you know, we are beginning to introduce these types of products to our residential lines because the ultimate goal is not just like this one, two, three, four, five. It's a limited number of styles now that are carbon negative. But Interface has invested in the technology and the supply chain, and we have the intention that all of our products one day will be carbon negative, not just carpet tile, but also in the resilient products that we offer and rubber. And that's our intention. Um, So not only that, but our introducing this should influence competitors, and we should start to see more environmentally sensitive carbon neutral, carbon negative products. And in fact, we're starting to see that in our competitors in the commercial sphere. So in the Australia, New Zealand region, we've seen competitors there actually step up their efforts to offer carbon neutral products in response to our carbon neutral floors program. It's very exciting. So we're starting to influence what customers can get beyond just our products. Very cool. Well, I can't wait to investigate that when it comes time to choosing carpets in particular. (laughs) Um, But I want to talk to you more about influence in a sec. But before we do that, just to go a little bit deeper on the products, I think for the the geeks out there listening who might be interested, a couple of things I was looking at the website and reflecting on is the first is that the, the, the green backing, which is the part that's, that's removes the carbon, um, actually replaces the existing petroleum-based carbon, right? So it's it's a double whammy in that sense. So it's taking out the petroleum-based. And then the second part is that it um, it's really very interesting technology in that it leverages photosynthesis. So it's like a natural, it's like emulating this natural process, which I think last time we talked a lot about that sort of um, biomimicry idea of sort of reflecting, uh, you know, using using ideas from nature and bringing it into the product, which is very cool. So I imagine there's more to read about that on the website if anybody's keen on sort of the, the science behind it. Yes. So, I mean, we, we start almost by apologizing to people when we talk about these products for both the chemistry and the carbon lesson that sometimes <laughs> has to happen to go through them. Um, and believe me, we've all kind of been trained on this as of our salespeople in terms of the basic carbon cycle. But yeah, simply, I mean, we are taking not just inspiration from um, nature and in particular, you know, plant-based materials that trap and store carbon to keep it out of the atmosphere, not just inspiration, but we've gone a step further and said, let's increase our use of biomaterials in the products so that we are directly storing carbon in them and keeping um, keeping it out of the atmosphere. And you're correct, the part of the product, generally our products are kind of simple layers. You know, there's the face or the fiber top, there's a middle layer, and then there's traditionally the backing layer. And it is the backing layer where we're using the post-consumer recycled content and the bio-based material to create kind of this 
biocomposite backing, which is the part that's carbon negative. And it's so carbon negative, it offsets any of the carbon from the rest of the layers. Um, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a simple calculation. And because this, we are one of the first companies to ever launch a carbon negative product, um, we had not just the numbers and the math kind of third party verified, but we also had the process third party third party verified. You know, we wanted kind of some outside experts to say, are we thinking about this the right way? Like obviously how footprints get calculated um, following something called life cycle assessment is pretty well established. But the thinking behind, you know, how we would make a product like this, because there aren't, um, you know, there aren't certifications now either in the commercial or the consumer space that are sort of climate negative products yet. It's still very emerging. So we wanted to make sure that both our math and our thinking and our process <laughs> was verified. So if anyone wants to read more about this, there's loads of information on our website, but also we've made environmental product declarations available on these three different types of backing. So there's a true bio backing, which we call Sequest Bio, and then there's also a recycled vinyl backing product that is also can be made carbon negative. And there are environmental product declarations and loads of data available if people want to read more about that. <laughs> I'm sure there are some very nerdy types out there <laughs> that would love to dig into that. Um, but also I wanted to touch on the circularity element. So there's, you've mentioned already there's a ton of use of recycled materials in the products as well, not only just recycling carbon, but also recycling sort of um, pre and post consumer waste as well. Um, has that changed much over the last three years or is that just a, a program that's continuing? So, you know, these products will make it easier for us to kind of bring back and continue to keep these products um, in the technical loop, in the technical loop, at the end of their life. But what we're also trying to experiment with is making sure that our resilient products could one day in the future be brought back and possibly recycled to be made into some of these backings. So certainly, Interface, you know, has continued to bring back from customers our products. But what we're really trying to do is figure out. Um, now that we've expanded and uh, created a resilient flooring business, which is um, LVT, luxury vinyl tile, that's something we didn't even have 10 years ago. So we're trying to figure out how those products can be recycled back into either new resilient or made into backings for the carpet tiles. So we have lots of um, interesting opportunities underway and are really trying to understand how that new resilient business and how those products can actually be brought back and make it into recycled content for other product lines. Now you mentioned the third party verification. So clearly transparency is super important to interface. And I see on the website, there's reference to various green certifications and standards. And uh, there's also- <laughs> So there's many. So many, wow. And uh, there's also a new partnership with Building Transparency, which I understand is quite exciting. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Um, you know, I think transparency has to be a part of this for any company. And so, you know, it's not just transparency in terms of what are the products made of, but at the very front end, Joy, like what are your company's goals and targets? What's the real environmental impact of your business and how are you doing on achieving that? So increasingly, you know, what typically was in like a corporate sustainability report, our customers didn't care about that historically as much as they cared about deep transparency on the products. So I think, you know, what companies are realizing now is um, transparency has to exist on several levels. You have to be open and honest about the overall ambition of your company, how you're doing, things that would be in a traditional sustainability report. But also, if you're a product maker, whether that's you know apparel, whether that's automobiles, increasingly customers are wanting really detailed information on the environmental impacts of those products. And as a result of that, 
um, so many certifications have sprung up around the world where third parties will attest to the fact that you've created, you know, an environmentally responsible product. And so I think one of the biggest challenges we find in transparency in a company that's committed to being transparent is just navigating like all these different certifications <laughs> and making sure that by market, by region, customers have the certification they want, right? You know, they're able to say either this is cradle to cradle certified, you know, that is a certification that the um, Sequest products that I just talked about, they've achieved a cradle to cradle silver. Or, you know, in a different market, it might be something else. So I think one thing that we as companies are really obligated to do is make sure our customers have the information that they need. But the second part of that is also finding ways as a company that we can help our customers bridge the gap for getting information that will help them make better decisions faster. So you mentioned building transparency and the collaboration we just did there was to actually fill a gap and make it easier for our customers to make um, better decisions about buying lower carbon products. So I mentioned environmental product declarations and they're great, but they can be 10 to 15 pages long. And if you're someone who's making a decision about specifying a flooring, picking a product for your office, and you have to read 15 pages to choose amongst three different flooring types, that takes a lot of time and a lot of energy. <laughs> and so, you know, one gap we noticed was people just wanting to have carbon information, carbon footprint information on products in a comparable way. So we saw this really cool tool that was being developed called the Embodied Carbon and Construction Calculator Tool. And Skanska, which is a large global construction company, had seen this gap and had started to create this EC3 tool. And their intention was to make it free to just mine the information from these environmental product declarations, but to give it to customers in a free online database that they didn't have to pay for it that would just allow them to compare products and pick the lowest carbon footprint option. So we saw that that would be a huge game changer for our customers. It would allow them to understand the value of a lot of the types of products we make and sell, which are really low footprint, which are carbon neutral. So we helped financially support the creation of that tool and then have been working in partnership with EC3 with building transparency and with loads of others to make sure that tool um, gets into the hands of people who want to make better decisions. And that, that kind of leads into the, the topic of influence again, which is probably my favorite topic to talk about so far. Um, <laughs> I, I just think it's kind of cool to have a corporate influencer, you know, maybe you should, you should uh, use that hashtag and in interfaces, Instagram account. <laughs> um, but, but we didn't really cover this in our last episode much. Um, and the key point is that Interface is a, is a very well-established publicly listed company. And so this is, this is super unique for us in particular because, you know, the businesses we usually talk to on this podcast are small, dynamic innovators and disruptors that are really giving those big established businesses something to think about when it comes to sustainability. <laughs> so um, I was curious, perhaps you can talk about how Interface has handled sort of the usual pressures of delivering on shareholder demands, which are not traditionally associated with the sustainability agenda. Or perhaps the case is that interface shareholders are really different and just get it because you guys have been talking about this for 25 years. Well, I wish I could say that, but I definitely <laughs> think, you know, over the last three years in particular, our shareholders and investors as the whole kind of shareholder and investment community really, um, you know, ha has begun to focus much more on ESG. And, and I definitely think 25 years ago, they, you know, were a much harder audience. And how did we kind of navigate that with them? I mean, you know, we were always very open about saying 25 years ago, we are going to have a focus on sustainability. 
I think one of the first things Interface did was we focused on waste reduction and we were able to talk to shareholders about the positive financial impact um, that hit the bottom line as a result of not wasting raw materials that we paid to use. And so, you know, we were very effective early on in saying to shareholders, we understand their skepticism. We understand that people think that sustainability costs money, but we can actually tell you to the tens of million and then hundreds of million of dollars we've saved, we've calculated by just reducing the waste initiatives in our factories. So I think we were able to navigate that when investors were skeptical. Now the investors are increasingly asking, you know, what are your ESG scores? What is your history of doing this? We're really well positioned because we've been focused on this for 25 years. And we've made a lot of progress and we've made some pretty bold commitments that we deliver on. And so I think that's really how we've navigated maybe early skepticism by investors. And now I think are able to reap some of the rewards of being able to say to them, you know, not just look at the progress we've made, but increasingly that progress has made our company a recognized leader which is why customers want to buy products from us. And so it's also given us a benefit at the brand level that um, we're leveraging now. Absolutely. It's a total differentiator. Uh, you know, I, I think most people who have any sort of care about sustainability will seek out companies like Interface to support as opposed to to others who are doing nothing on the stuff. I mean, that's how I do things these days. Search complete. Yeah. Like I just go straight to the sustainability page. I look at that first before I even look at the product. <laughs> I think it's a really increasingly so important. And I think the other kind of influence, you know, we've had is a little hidden because I know you talk to a lot of startups and disruptors. And so it probably feels weird for me to say, like, we're a small company. I mean, we're, you know, over a billion dollar company, around 4,700 employees globally. But in the scheme of things, that's pretty small. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. you know, the I think the other influence we've been able to exert, and I've seen this amongst other pioneering companies, whether it's companies like Patagonia, um, you know, who are also not huge in the apparel sector, but just by the very act of creating or making something possible. So when you can create, you know, a jacket that's 100% recycled, when we can create a carpet tile that's carbon negative, we've shown what's possible. And, you know, we've created a really competitive pressure on the rest of the industry, particularly for those customers who are sensitized to, um, you know, wanting to purchase environmental things, that creates a pressure. So think about it in this context. Um, us being able to create a carbon negative carpet tile can get the attention of the state of California. And the state of California has, you know, in 2017, passed some legislation called the Buy Clean Program. And it requires that any of the government purchasing they do must consider carbon footprint. So imagine if they get wind of and see that it's possible to do carbon negative, but they have to have more than one vendor vie for that business. They can then turn back to those vendors and start saying to them, why don't you have a carbon negative option? Mm -hmm. And when it's the state of California asking that question, then you have a really interesting pressure point on competitors and the rest of the industry to move much more faster in the direction of things like carbon neutral and carbon negative. That's the other influence that I think sometimes is really hidden, right? But it's kind of the indirect way that we're influencing the rest of the industry to go green. And I think the, the other point there is, um, is interface is not just focused on sort of converting competitors, but you've almost formalized uh, influence, at least on, on your website, it, it talks about how that's actually a, a key part of your community engagement, but in the in the business community, uh, supporting sort of other companies to go on this journey. So I wondered if you could 
illustrate the example maybe with uh with with walmart's journey uh how interface has helped yeah. support them or maybe there's a different example that would be better no i think it's great because at, at the time that walmart reached out to us walmart had zero sustainability credentials and they were just starting this journey and um you know, the Walmart executive team in particular, their CEO kind of reached out to our founder, Ray Anderson, because Interface was one of the most recognized examples of having implemented sustainability, you know, not just made a commitment, but having been on a 10, 15 year journey already and had begun to kind of share some of our numbers publicly about how much we had reduced waste, um, how much we had reduced the footprint of the products. And so, you know, they initially approached us and said, we'd just really like to understand how it is that you did this. And we have a lot of skeptical questions. <laughs> so come and spend some time with you. And, and first it was, you know, Ray presenting kind of what Interface had committed to, what we'd done to date, and where we still had work to do to kind of the Walmart senior leadership team. And then that turned into the company sending actually a group of Walmart senior leaders to visit our um, U.S. business headquarters in LaGrange, Georgia, and actually looking at what was possible. And a couple of executives from Walmart came away from that saying, I just had a changed perspective. I mean, being able to see sustainability operationalized and the opportunity that we could have at Walmart, you know, really kind of changed our perspective. It gave us confidence and Walmart kind of credited Interface with saying, you kind of gave us a really unique perspective that we wouldn't have got from a consultant or an NGO. And that, you know, led to them, I think, much more quickly embracing the idea that this could be possible at Walmart and led to them setting some pretty ambitious goals. And that's one of, you know, a dozen companies that have visited Interface, um, have, have had exec team, executive team, C-suite interaction and gone away and have said, I've been really influenced. I mean, I, I had the really interesting opportunity to meet Richard Branson um, at Virgin probably 10 years ago at an event he was doing in California with Governor Schwarzenegger. And he was, you know, very kind about saying, um, wow, you know, Interface is one of those companies that really changed my thinking. And it just always kind of blows me away when we think, <laughs> wow, we're this group of guys, you know, trying to make our business better. And it's so gratifying to hear that, you know, we may have had an influence on other companies especially such big influences like Walmart and Richard Branson, right? Like that is the, then the sort of butterfly effect of influence is really, it really starts to mean something when you start to think about Walmart, right? Um, right. I think these stories, like, I think that's one thing that makes me believe, um, you know, in the power of conversations like this and podcasts and films, because it's the story behind how does this stuff get done that's not necessarily being taught in business school curriculums or to current CEOs. We just had a fantastic opportunity, and I will share a great resource with your audience um, in uh, something called Beyond Zero. So a few years ago, we were approached by a documentary filmmaker to um, tell the story of Interface. And, and he kind of came to us and said, look, I actually heard about you through conscious capitalism. Um, you know, this is the, the best but least known story of corporate transformation. And I want to do a movie on you guys. And I don't want you to pay for it. I want it to be totally independent. Um, and, and that kind of turned into this two-year project. Um, the director and creator is a guy named Nathan Havey, and he released um, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, this movie called Beyond Zero. And you can see the trailer online, uh, beyondzerofilm.com, I think is the website. And um, it tells the story of how does this sort of transformation happen? And it's really the human side, you know? the leadership required, the faith you have to have, the buy-in you need to get from employees. And it, it talks a little bit about how we were able to do that.
Oh, and it's a great, yeah, it's a great kind of two hour way to get the interface story um, in a way that's maybe not a case study. And if you're someone who responds to stories better than case studies, um, you get to see the really human side of why people, you know, buy into this and why our team in particular is so passionate about what we do at Interface. That's very cool. I didn't, I totally missed that that was, uh, that that documentary even existed. So I'm going to put the links on our show notes to that right. to, and wherever you can watch it online, I'll figure it out and put those links on um, because that sounds like an awesome thing to watch, especially for anyone interested in the idea of conscious capitalism because that's a, that's quite a, a current topic at the moment is the whole sort of role of capitalism in making change. So I think that would be quite interesting for people. Yeah, and that's changing, right? I mean, that's the other interesting thing is that we're debating right now, what is the role of capitalism? Like, what is the real model? Is it a multi-stakeholder model? Can that work? And I think it's a really interesting time where we're seeing more and more companies claim that a multi-stakeholder model um, is the right model, but we haven't necessarily seen the evolution of the tools to measure mm. a company's performance in a multi-stakeholder model. So there's a whole bunch of work that needs to catch up to what I hope is like this emerging idea that yes, we should have conscious capitalism. Companies should be um, delivering value for for more than just shareholders. We talk about our model focuses on shareholders, employees, the environment, and our customers. And we are ever trying to balance value across those four stakeholders. And as you say, transparency is key, but it's so hard to measure that impact outside of the financial realm. There's not a unified standard set of metrics out there that makes it easy for people to understand what the impact is. Every sort of company has developed their own way of doing things, and it makes it really tricky to understand how conscious <laughs> that company actually is in real life. Agreed. I mean, I think this idea that there have to be trade-offs and that we have to, you know, find ways to measure that that are in different time horizons than the financial metrics is very true. And and I've been kind of following the. I'm sure many of the people listening have been as well following kind of the departure of Danon's CEO, mm. who was an incredible leader and very focused on their multi-stakeholder model. And a lot of the conversation that happened after he was kind of forced out was, was you know, kind of the feeling from the board of directors at the time that the financial performance of the business was um, less than great. And that was sort of the public reason given for his departure. But there didn't really seem to be a conversation and a balance about, well, maybe the other three stakeholders that we're supposedly delivering value for are performing fantastically. So is that enough to, you know, keep a CEO in place if one of the four isn't working? You know, I, f I feel like there's going to be lots of debate coming about using the Danon experience as a case study and maybe what was, was right, but maybe what gaps still exist in managing a business to a multi-stakeholder approach. There's still a ton to iron out. So maybe we catch up in another three years and we, and we <laughs> reflect on that again because, yeah, I don't know if that's quite been um, solved yet. Um, but anyway, what we do know is that is that leaders uh, who are pushing the boundaries on these things and pushing the thinking is what we need. So, so Erin, what's next for Interface? Where to from here for you guys? Well, you know, the carbon negative product that I talked about is something we're going to keep rolling out globally. Um, you know, we've spent about $50 million, not just to create those products, but to really transform our manufacturing facilities. So we, we foresee a future where all products are carbon negative. Um, and, you know, building on that, that means we have the opportunity to go back and engage with our broader supply chain to, to figure out how we can expand that influence and potentially look at um, 
driving change more deeply within our supply chain, but we'll also be really focused on through those products and through what we're learning, trying to reduce the impact and decarbonize the built environment. So building coalitions with people like building transparency that we talked about, um, other customer groups to take this message, this mission to really decarbonize into the built environment and hopefully do our part, not just at Interface, not just with our products, but do our part to really shape and and decarbonize the built environment. That's really where we're headed. So just a, a few things then. <laughs> yeah, just a couple. Just a Reversing couple. global warming, changing the built environment. Um, we'll be busy. And, you know, hopefully, I, I think really hopefully um, being able to continue to create a place where, you know, our customers and our employees and our stakeholders feel like we're continuing to ever evolve. Um, We touched on mission zero. And I think the best lesson from that for interface is, you know, we challenged ourselves to go somewhere further and, and if we've done a great job to get to zero, we're tackling beyond zero. And and hopefully when we connect in another couple of years, we can tell you how far beyond zero we've gone. Very exciting stuff. And and Erin, I was going to ask you where the best place is to learn more about Interface these days. But um, obviously beyond zero is a great resource to start with. So I'll put that into the show notes. But obviously the website um, is it still a good place to interact with Interface on the socials or are there events or what, yes, is, what else is there? Definitely. So I think definitely check out the website. Um, you know, Interface has great, you know, presence on sort of LinkedIn. You can check out our page. You can follow Interface at Interface Inc. on Twitter. Um, they've got a great, we've got a great Instagram page. Um, But another specific opportunity, if um, anyone listening is interested, is we've been engaging with our customers, creating something we call Carbon Love and Learns. And it's, you know, it's where our team will spend um, a few hours over the course of a few days with um, teams that are interested in learning more about carbon. So we've had to educate ourselves a ton within the company about things like carbon footprint and carbon cycle and low carbon raw materials and procurement guidelines. And if there are folks who are interested in deepening their team's awareness or knowledge of kind of the world of carbon, there's a great way they can connect with Interface to have some of our team do what we call a carbon love and learn. And, and that's a really great way to directly engage with Interface, and we love to do it. And I can um, put some information um, in your show notes so that they know the best person to reach out to on that globally. We do them in all different parts of the world. Fantastic. Wow, what an offer. Definitely to the listeners out there, take Interface up on that. That sounds really cool. So Erin, thank you so much for this wonderful chat. Fascinating once again to chat to you. Look forward to the future innovations and catching up again in another three years. I know, right? Hopefully it won't take us that long, but thank you for having us. Heartening to catch up with Erin and to see that there has been some real progress over at Interface, not just in terms of the evolution of their ambition and products, but also their widening positive influence. We hope that you found this interesting and found some inspiration to take back to your workplace or company. Thank you again for listening and we will see you back here in some time.